Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. We bit of an early show this week. Got some stuff I have to handle on my end with family, but it is what it is. Made sure I made some time for y'all. Give y'all the news. Mm. A lot of stuff to talk about today. I will talk about Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. I'll talk about leftist infighting. I'm going to lead with leftist infighting in just a second. Um, we have a Republican who's officially leaving the party because he's like, oh my God, these people don't even believe in democracy. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, Iran is basically leaving the door open for peace, potentially. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I, got a, I got a full show for you today. Without further ado, let's get started. And we'll do that with leftist infighting. Here we go. You know, for a long time, I've wanted to talk about this issue um, and I guess I never found the right opportunity, or, or I just didn't, that's actually not the right way to put it. I didn't really think to just come out here and talk about it on its own merits. I guess I was sort of looking for a news hook to talk about it, but that's not even really necessary. You could talk about this at any time, because honestly, the dynamic that we're about to talk about is playing out all day, every day, everywhere. I mean, you see this online. Um, you see this in, in your own life and with your own friends and acquaintances. 
You see this with the kind of you know, left-wing groups you belong to, whether you're some sort of an activist and working on specific issues or whether you're in a union or whatever it might be. Um, the dynamic that I'm about to talk about is incredibly pervasive, and um, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. So you could probably see over my shoulder here this meme that I tweeted out, and I think it's, I think it's so accurate. And I think all of you know exactly what it's referring to without me even having to say another word. So leftist infighting, leftist infighting. We do tend to eat our own more than the right does. Now, maybe that's changing. You know, there's this whole, what's his name, Nick Fuentes or something like that going around basically saying we need to destroy the Republican Party and don't vote for Loeffler and Purdue and these people need to stand up and fight for Trump more. And, you know, maybe on the horizon we will see a situation in which it's like, it, it's like this on the right where they're at each other's throats all the time. But I do get the sense, based on anecdotal evidence and my own perception, that, yeah, the left does kind of eat its own more often. Now, you can make the argument that that's actually a positive thing in this sense in the sense that it shows you're willing to be more individualistic, you're willing to have more free thought, and you're willing to have nothing held sacred. And so you're always going to tell the truth as you see it, even if it means throwing people who are supposed to be your friends under the bus. So there's one interpretation of it, which is like, it's just positive. It's positive that we're always willing to stand by whatever our beliefs are. Um, but there is a flip side of it, and the flip side of it is it does make it so easy to divide and conquer the left, and it does make it much less likely that we're going to be able to achieve our goals, assuming we agree on the goals. And um, we can always be sort of a beaten down, fractured mess as long as we let ourselves be that, and we'll be politically impotent and ineffectual as a result of that. So you can say there's upsides to it, you can say there's downsides to it, but there are two principles, in my opinion, that you have to balance when talking about this. One is, and this is just me, I know a lot of you guys disagree with me, but I really do try my best to always assume good intent unless proven otherwise. So I need to see basically overwhelming evidence that proves that somebody's not acting with good intent in order for me to acknowledge that, and treat them like a hostile, nefarious actor, okay? And I don't think that that's necessarily something that I see from other people, or at least not to the extent I'd like to see it. I, I can't put numbers on it, but there are many people on the left who the, the first thing they do is they go right to this person has bad intentions, and this person is nefarious. And this person has ulterior motives that are leading them to say the things they say and believe the things they believe. Um, I always, I feel like Occam's razor is you always default to assuming whoever you're talking to, who's your friend on the left, is telling you what they really believe. And so if there is some sort of disagreement, some sort of disconnection, um, if there's no continuity between what they're doing and what you're doing, it makes sense to be sympathetic and empathetic and to like try to understand where they're coming from, even if it happens to be 
you know, it, on an issue that you thought was really not even debatable. And that's one that I do struggle with as well myself, that if people start debating things that I didn't really think were ever debatable, then I'm like, really? Like, we got to go all the way back to this step and have this conversation? It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's a little obnoxious. But it's also life. This is what human beings are like. You can't just assume everybody's already where you are, you know, on all these issues. You have to, the burden's on you, the onus is on you to lay out on the merits of your argument as to why you're correct and why other people on the left need to join you. So I really do my best to assume good intent until evidence proves otherwise. And actually, I mean, if you really think about it, that's why I never really made a habit of going after other people in this space who are nominally on the left. Because I got the sense that even if they come after me in a way that I think is bordering on unfair, if I think that the criticism is coming from a sincere place, I'm like, okay, it is what it is. You know, I disagree. You know, I'll argue the other side. I'll tell you why I think that's ridiculous. But I'm not going to throw you under the bus or go nuclear because if I think the criticism is coming from a good place, you get a full pass on intentions, which means I'm not going to treat you like you're the enemy. You know, I would like to see that from everybody in this space, and I would like to see that from everybody in leftist circles. I really would. Now, the two competing things here are, so on the one hand, I think it makes sense to always assume good intent until evidence proves otherwise when dealing with people who are ideologically somewhat in agreement with you. But sometimes that butts up against another principle. And the other principle is, holding politicians accountable. So let's loop in the conversation we had in the last show about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and trying to force a vote on Medicare for All. And honestly, it's not just her, right? Like, it's not just her. It's anybody should step up on this front. Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocan, Ro Khanna, you can go on and on naming the people who, like, okay, you guys, any one of you really should sort of take the lead on this. But so the fact that she's not where we are on this, where most of us are, if you're watching this right now, and she doesn't want to force a vote on Medicare for all, I think she's wrong. I think her position, honestly, is kind of silly when you get into the specifics of it. And she hilariously thinks like, well, you guys haven't thought it out. No, I've thought it out quite a bit, actually, (laughs) quite a bit. Um, But do I think she's not agreeing with me? because she's a bad person or she's nefarious or she sold out or no, I don't, I don't at all. I think that she really believes and all the other justice Democrats really believe that if you play a tit for tat game with Pelosi and leadership, if you go along to get along to some extent, if you keep the negotiations behind closed doors, when you talk to them and you don't threaten to to leverage your vote, I think they think they'll get more results for the left in the long run if they take that approach. So I think it's a sincere belief I think it's also a a belief that's basically been tainted by the fact that all the Justice Democrats are now creatures of Washington. You know, that's where they are. That's the water they swim in, you know. So it's kind of, they've gotten Washington brain a little bit. So I think their lack of the continued outsider perspective is leading them in this direction. But I think they sincerely believe it. You know what I mean? And as soon as we start going after their intentions, well, then the whole thing blows up and then they don't view you as an honest actor trying to help them to get to our desired end goal, they view you now as one of the enemies. And so we don't want to go nuclear and have all the lines of communication break down because then everybody loses. 
And then, you know, the right and the, and the centrists, the corporatists, can laugh to perpetual victory because they know as long as you do divide and conquer, as long as the left is fractured, they're never going to get anything accomplished. They're never going to get anything done. But I think the main point of talking about this that, that, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is that I actually don't think that those two principles are at odds with each other. And I don't think there's a contradiction there. I think, as a general rule, you can assume good intent from other leftists unless overwhelming evidence proves otherwise. But you can also take a, a, a stance of, as soon as somebody becomes a politician, now it's my job to hold them accountable. And even if I like them, even if I agree with them on the overwhelming majority of stuff, they're now a politician and I'm their boss. And so I'm going to hold them accountable no matter what. Both of those things can happen at the same time. I can understand that those who might disagree with me on the strategy mean well, but I could also be like, you're dead wrong on this and sit down and let me explain why. Let me break it down for you. Let me give you all the details. Let me give you all the nuances of the argument. Let me tell you how if we win, we win, but also if we lose, we win, because this is what the Tea Party did and these tactics of the Tea Party to be ruthless and always on the offense and taking no shit, how that moved the Overton window and got more victories for their side. That's what we need to do. So I, I don't need to malign intent, and I don't need to attack people as people to, you know, to get my point across. And I actually think in the long run, you do kind of build that leftist unity that's necessary if you treat everybody like honest actors. You know what I mean? And again, that doesn't mean that when we disagree, we don't discuss it. We don't hash it out. You have to do that because we have to figure out what answer is the correct answer. And then once we come up with that correct answer, everybody should get on the same page. Um, but we can also just generally assume good intent for others who are in this space. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think that happens that much. So I guess this is my cry. This is my plea. And I'm not doing this segment in order to, you know, direct it at any one person in particular, any one other host. I'm really not. I've seen a lot of sniping on both sides of all these debates. And it gets personal. And it gets upsetting. And so I guess this is... this segment is my attempt to tell everybody, can't we all just get along? You know, we can have our disagreements, we could have our differences, we could have the debates, and I hope my side of the debate always wins, <laughs> and we all agree to go, get on my page of it, I'm convinced I'm right about it, but yeah, I, I think that we can do that and also not burn bridges and go nuclear and assume bad intentions for everybody on all sides of this, if you're in the leftist family, okay? Um, and, and, as, and you guys know my, my general take on this stuff anyway. You always want to coalition build as much as humanly possible, you know? And so if it's somebody who agrees with me 90% of the time, then 90% of the time we're going to work together, you know? Um, and we'll hash out the finer differences. But even in a situation you're seeing it unfold right now with Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley, they're both agreeing for the $1,200 stimulus checks, and they want to force that vote, and they want to keep the Senate there through the holidays if need be. So they might only agree on 10% of issues or 15% of issues, but they're going to unify on those 10 or 15% of issues now, aren't they? 
So I guess the, the other reason why I'm talking about this, it, it's more of like a plea for emotional maturity in politics and how we need to be emotionally mature and we need to assume good intent across the board in order to really ever get anything done and build the coalitions that are necessary. Anyway, this concludes the Dr. Phil segment of Secular Talk today. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wish that we could be a little more strategic, a little more intelligent, and a little more kind to each other, and not always be at each other's throats. And I think that if we do that, it'll pay dividends in the long run. Okay. Now we are going to talk about Julian Assange. So we're getting to the end of Trump's time in office. Um, A lot of people were interested in seeing what he does on the way out the door. The first thing he's doing is tweeting nonstop that he's actually not on the way out the door even though the Electoral College just got together and certified that Biden won. Um, But outside of that, like, what's he going to do? Because it could have gone in either direction. He could have gone more insane and more terrible, or he could have surprised everybody and did some positive things. One of the things that we learned was he tried to go in the negative direction in regards to Iran. He doesn't want Joe Biden getting back in that Iran deal. So he was floating the idea of attacking some, you know, prominent nuclear sites in Iran. And even the other neocon hawks were like, I don't know about that dog. We can't be like transitioning from one administration to the next and start a hot war on the way out the door. That's insane. So even like Pompeo was like, got to pump your brakes, dog. I wish you told me this a year ago, we would have done it. So that was one thing where it was like, okay, this is terrible. He's going to go in that direction. But then he also at the same time is talking about, oh, we're going to get out of Iraq and Afghanistan. He wants that to be part of his legacy. But he's doing it in the most cuck way imaginable because he's keeping 2,500 troops there. That's not a withdrawal. That's exactly what Obama did. He pretended like he was getting out and he would just draw down the troops and still leave thousands there. If there are thousands there, it's not a withdrawal. Imagine thousands of Chinese troops occupying Texas. Would they be like, it's okay. This is not, uh, this is not a boots on the ground hot war. We're just here. No, shut up and get out. Um, so... They've gone, you know, there's been evidence that maybe he'll go this way, maybe he'll go that way. But there's one thing that everybody's on the same page for. A lot of people on the right, a lot of people on the left. I'm talking about actual people, not the establishment goons who really run the country. But it was trending the past few days. Everybody's calling for a pardon of Assange and Snowden. And I'm here to say, I really hope he does it. Is he going to do it? I have no idea. I have no idea. And if he does end up doing it, it would be for all the wrong reasons. But I don't really care, because as long as they get pardoned, that's what matters. So Glenn Greenwald has made this point a number of times that if Trump were to do it, if Trump were to do it, it would simply be because him doing it would piss off a lot of the people who are a thorn in his side and who don't like Trump. There's a lot of people who are in the intelligence agencies, in the deep state, um, you know, Brennan, Susan Rice, Clapper, like a lot of these people who hate Trump and happen to be wrong on this issue, just to spite them, 
Trump might do it to be like, take that, bitch. So Glenn Greenwald is sort of playing up that personal angle of it and almost leaning into that. The other thing I've seen people do is they, they tweet at Trump as if they're like insufferably smug liberals who are like, don't you dare pardon them. I wouldn't want you to own the libs so hard by pardoning them. Like, they're trying to play this game where it's reverse psychology with Trump to bait him into doing it. Does it have a chance of working? I have no idea, guys. I have no idea. But, you know, I hope he pardons them. And that's the whole point of this segment is for me to remind everybody exactly who Julian Assange is, exactly who Edward Snowden is. So in the case of Julian Assange, of course, WikiLeaks, he's the mastermind behind WikiLeaks. And what they did is they got information, classified information from... Chelsea Manning, and we basically learned that our troops were committing war crimes in Iraq. We killed innocent civilians, then we circled back around and killed the first responders. It's called a double tap drone strike. We had video of it. The people who were doing it were laughing. Turns out we killed journalists. Chelsea Manning saw this. She has a conscience. She says, people need to know about this. Got in touch with you know, WikiLeaks gave Julian Assange the information, the video, and Julian Assange released it. This is what we like to call journalism. It's, oh my God, the government is classifying something that shouldn't be classified. They're only making it classified and top secret because they don't want people to realize the messed up thing that they did. So I'm not going to abide by that. I'm going to educate the public and I'm going to release this. Guys, this is no different than Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers for Vietnam, where we learned about how we were using Agent Orange and napalm on innocent villages and killing civilians. That stuff was classified, too, but it was released. And now everybody looks back and they go, well, obviously that was the right thing to do. The government was hiding stuff that they shouldn't have been hiding. They were hiding war crimes. And now all of a sudden, with Julian Assange releasing it, it we're still pretending like there's a question as to whether or not this was moral and just. Of course it's moral. Of course it's just. And all the arguments against him, by the way, are lies. They say, like, oh, he was aiding and abetting, like, Russia and China and giving our secrets to our enemies. No, he wasn't. He was doing journalism and releasing stuff that exposed the powerful. That's what he was doing. Everything else is nonsense. He absolutely should be pardoned. Now, he used to have a lot of allies um, in the Democratic Party, Julian Assange did. But then they abandoned him. Why? Because of 2016. Because it was Julian Assange and it was WikiLeaks that, you know, showed what happened internally with the DNC, how they basically rigged it against Bernie Sanders. And, you know, we also got information about, you know, Hillary Clinton's speeches where she talked about how we need totally free and open trade borders. She talked about how there's a bigotry against the rich in today's America. We learned about all this stuff because of WikiLeaks. This is stuff that the public, there's a public interest in knowing this stuff. Again, journalism. And he releases it. And they say, oh, my God, no. What if you got that stuff from Russia? There's no evidence of that. But they say, what if you got that stuff from Russia? This is Russian meddling in the election. No, it's somebody who's doing the role of a journalist, releasing information that should be released because it's in the public interest and it's exposing crimes. So that's what Julian Assange did. 
if Trump were to pardon him, it would be because pardoning him would piss off people that don't like Trump. Um, and it would be because the unintended consequence, the upside of them release the, leaking on the DNC was to help Trump in 2016. Um, but it doesn't matter. You can't look at these things in a, in, a, in a political sense. You have to look at them in a principled sense. He was doing the role of a journalist, period. You can't criminalize that or you're getting rid of the First Amendment. Then we have Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden tried very hard to get out information that was in the public interest. He was stonewalled. He tried to go through all the proper channels. He was stonewalled every time he did. He eventually got in touch with Glenn Greenwald, who was at The Guardian at the time, and he told him about the information he had working for the NSA, working for a private contractor, I think Booz Allen Hamilton or something like that. Um, Basically, the NSA was spying on all Americans and lying about it. They were collecting your metadata. They uh, were way more involved in your private life than anybody could have guessed. And they were lying about it. I remember James Clapper asked if uh, the NSA is collecting information on all Americans, and he said something along the lines of, no, not wittingly, which is a lie. They are indeed collecting everybody's information. And they're abusing their power. We learned from Snowden's leaks that you had people at the NSA spying on their love interests. I mean, think about that. We have no more Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment protects us from unreasonable search and seizure. Edward Snowden is a hero and a whistleblower, and he said, hey, the government is violating your Fourth Amendment protections. That's what's happening. So... He exposed the powerful, so the powerful fought back. The powerful fought back. Joe Biden was the one who made a phone call because they heard maybe Edward Snowden is on a Bolivian plane with Evo Morales. So they grounded that plane to look for Snowden. Snowden wasn't on there. He was trying to get to South America, though, for asylum. They made sure he was stuck in Russia. Joe Biden made sure he was stuck in Russia. And then they turn around and blame him and lie and say, oh, he's working with our enemies and our adversaries. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. This guy's a hero. This guy's a whistleblower. This guy showed you all Americans are being illegally and unconstitutionally spied on by the NSA. He showed that. And now he's got to hide away, even though history's already absolved him. Are you kidding me? It used to be you have to wait a few decades or more before history absolves you. Now we already know Edward Snowden's right. You know, everybody with a functioning brain who's not an establishment tool already knows Edward Snowden is right. So he absolutely should be pardoned. Julian Assange and Edward Snowden should be pardoned. Will he do it? I don't know. But this is me reminding everybody who they are, what they did, why they're American heroes, and why the correct thing to do is to pardon them. I don't care what Trump's petty motivations are. I don't care. If he does it because he wants to own the libs or own the deep state, whatever, cool. Just do the right thing. Okay. Next. This story brings a smile to my face. CNN's John Harwood said that selfish Trump might punish Mitch McConnell by sinking Georgia 
Senate races. So let me explain that a little bit. Mitch McConnell admitted that Joe Biden won the election. I mean, he waited all the way until the Electoral College certified it. Like he could have said it a long time ago. He waited all the way until they certified it. And then he said it. But you have to understand something. That alone is making Trump's hardcore base meltdown. They want to believe that there's still hope that somehow Trump can win. And Mitch McConnell is now saying, no, I can't pretend any longer. And Trump is pissed at Mitch McConnell, really pissed, because Trump is still to this day tweeting stuff about big news on the Dominion, on the Dominion of voting machines. Seems like all these votes were flipped. Illegal, fraudulent election. He's still pretending like there's a chance. So CNN correspondent John Harwood on Tuesday said that Trump could effectively try to fire Mitch McConnell in his own mind by undermining the two Senate runoff races in Georgia. Because McConnell and all the Republicans have been telling Trump how important it is to campaign for these people and to get get the vote out. But Trump's been undermining that by saying rigged election, rigged election, rigged election. What's the point in voting if it's rigged and you're going to lose anyway? And so the fact that Mitch McConnell is the messenger that Trump needs to help in Georgia, and now in Trump's mind, Mitch McConnell stabbed him in the back, how would he get him back for that? He'd be like, fuck you and fuck your Senate races. You go take care of that on your own. He might do that. He might be that selfish. Hey, if I can't be president and I feel like Republicans are abandoning me, then I'll abandon the Republicans back and go ahead, try to deal with a Democratic supermajority, or not supermajority, excuse me, a Democratic majority in the Senate. He might tank the Republicans' chances in the Senate because he's pissed that they didn't fight for him enough. That is amazing. (laughs) I love that. So uh, what Mitch McConnell said is, quote, today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the vice president-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. So Trump campaigned for Purdue and Leffler, but he also said that Republicans shouldn't trust the voting system. So we'll see. We'll see if Trump... Trump's going to want to take his anger out on somebody, right? The question is, does he want to take it out on McConnell? He probably will because he sees McConnell's congratulating Biden. And if he wants to take it out on McConnell, how? You've got to hit him where it hurts. Where does it hurt? McConnell wants to make sure we win the Senate, we meaning Republicans. So Trump might go right for that. You abandon me? Fine, I'll abandon you. Imagine Trump says, like, don't vote in the corrupt Georgia election. Rhinos anyway. Oh, Oh, I love the way that sounds. (laughs) Yummy in my tummy. Anyway, this is all theoretical. We have to wait and see what the reaction is. But certainly in the realm of the possible for somebody as petty as Trump. Okay. All right, next. An interesting story about how some Republicans have some semblance of a conscience. Let me have some big sets of beans. 
Okay, here we go. So a House Republican has had enough, and he's officially leaving the Republican Party. So it's Representative Paul Mitchell. Isn't that a, isn't that like a shampoo company guy, right? Paul Mitchell. I think that's the shampoo thingy. Anyway, so this guy um, announced he's officially leaving the Republican Party. He wrote a letter to Republican leadership, and he was like, "I can't, I can't do this anymore." And his reasoning is, as you might expect, that he thinks it goes way too far how off the rails Trump and his hardcore base has been in terms of just lying about the election, claiming fraud and having no evidence and standing by that narrative to the point where they would happily just overthrow the result, not even being close to, get, to getting the result that they want or that they say happened. They would still just overthrow the election. Biden won the popular vote by over 7 million votes. 7 million! Imagine, imagine Trump won the popular vote by over 7 million, and the Democrats were just like, no, we're gonna, we think we won. What? Now, of course, in the Electoral College, it's a different story, but Biden still has 306 electoral votes. Like, they don't, even if you grant them all of their shitty claims, Biden still wins. But they don't care. They would just give the election to Trump. That is pissing this guy off. So, um... He says, quote, if Republican leaders collectively sit back and tolerate unfounded conspiracy theories and stop the steel rallies without speaking out loud for our electoral process, which the Department of Homeland Security said was the most secure in American history, our nation will be damaged, he wrote. He says, I haven't spoken out. I have spoken out clearly and forcefully in opposition to these messages. However, with the leadership of the Republican Party and our Republican conference in in the House actively participating in at least some of those efforts, I fear long-term harm to our democracy. Now, don't get it twisted, because what he plans on doing is supporting individual Republicans moving forward who mirror his values. I'm sure his values are values I wouldn't agree with, and you wouldn't agree with either. Um, But he is leaving the Republican Party, and he is, for the remainder of his term, identifying as an independent. So I guess the question is, How much credit do you give somebody like this in a situation like this? And my response is some, but just not that much. I give him some credit. Um, And the reason why I don't give him so much credit is very simple. It's like there were a thousand straws that broke the camel's back that he didn't think were instances of this is too far gone and too crazy. And, I mean, really, you should have been hearing the alarm bells with, like, the Iraq war and torture and the deregulation of Wall Street and cutting taxes for the rich that led to the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession. Like, the list goes on and on of all the things where you should have been like, this is unacceptable. Even, like, the fact that Republicans, until very recently, all of them were just totally against, like, gay marriage. You know? Kind of inexcusable if you think about it. It's like being against interracial marriage back in the day. Like, these things weren't moral red lines for you. You know what I mean? Like, so he tolerated quite a bit or maybe even agreed with quite a bit of that stuff. But this is the thing where he's like, okay, this goes too far. 
So on the one hand, it's like, well, what were you, asleep? Were you a zombie for the past however many decades? Like, none of those things were deal breakers for you? But then on the other hand, it's like, we also want to encourage more people to do this because this is the correct thing to do. So we should welcome it. And he does deserve some credit, you know? Like, yes, it's extreme to have to get to this point before you realize it. But at least he realizes it. At least he realizes it. At least he is acknowledging it where other Republicans will either not acknowledge it, even though they know they're wrong, or they'll go along to get along, or they'll believe the insane conspiracies that have no solid evidence to back it up. So, yeah, I want to give him some credit. I do want to give him some credit. Even though I'm not giving him that much credit, I'll give him a little bit of credit. So I'd love to see more of this happening. It is reassuring to know that that feeling that you have when you watch all this unfold and you're like, oh my God, how are they even making these points? There were some people who described themselves as Republicans who felt the exact same way, who were like, are you kidding me? Seriously? There's been 50 lawsuits. You've lost all but one, and the one that you won was like procedural nonsense. You've had your day in court, and you failed repeatedly. Who's your star, you know, witness presenting all the evidence? Sidney Powell, who's, who's a nutcase? Rudy Giuliani with hair dye dripping down his side of his face? And one ball popping out of his fly? Really? These are your heroes? It's just, it's so silly. It's so silly. But anyway, um, credit to this guy, but not too much credit. <laughs> he probably should have left a long time ago. But hey, better late than never, I guess, is the old saying, right? Okay. Now we're going to make fun of Joel Osteen, 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 Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen, Osteen, Osteen. Why am I incapable of saying so many names properly? Do not understand. Joel Osteen is in a little bit of trouble, is in a little bit of trouble. The Internet caught on to something that he was doing, which is unethical to say the least. Joel Osteen denounced as grifting scumbag after his megachurch pockets millions in COVID-19 relief. So I think the number is $4.4 million dollars. That's a lot of money, Joel. Now, Joel lives in a mega mansion, and Joel doesn't have to pay taxes because churches don't have to pay taxes, even though he's running a business, basically, and he preaches this thing called the prosperity gospel, which is this attempt to marry capitalism and, like, self-help guru motivation stuff with Christianity. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with, like, the self-help motivational stuff, right? Like, that's fine each their own if you like it no worries at all but to kind to pretend like that's the message 
of the hippie communist Jesus, who was a hippie communist before hippies were a thing or communism was a thing, like, that's a little ridiculous. Obviously, Jesus was not the biggest fan of the rich, and his whole thing is like, Jesus wants you to be rich. Well, now you see what's really going on. At a time when so many Americans are struggling, 60% of restaurants or small businesses are going to permanently go out. Permanently. This guy and his megachurch, where he's phenomenally wealthy and not in any danger whatsoever of going bankrupt, going under, having financial problems, he's in no danger at all. But he gets the money while other businesses struggle. And don't even get me started. Forget other businesses. What about other people? You know, they're still talking about a stimulus bill with no stimulus checks. Okay, send that over to Charmin because that's for nothing except toilet paper. Charmin should print out those bills on their toilet paper and Americans should all buy it. It's ridiculous. Stimulus bill with no stimulus check. So people are struggling to make ends meet. We're going to have a record number of foreclosures and evictions as soon as these protections wear off. But guys like Joel Osteen, Osteen, however you say it, is running out the back door with $4.4 million. And this really does put in perspective, guys. This really does put in perspective. The way the system works, usually if you're powerful and connected, you're first in line to get help. So they don't actually allocate based on need. They don't allocate based on morality or reason. It's just like, you know, he's probably got connections and he's probably got a team of lawyers who can help him navigate all the hurdles to getting a loan like this and getting money like this. And so he's able to get it. He has the resources, he has the means, and that paid off. But really, any bill, any bill that would give him $4.4 million is trash. It's trash. Total trash. I don't even think that needs any more explaining. You know, it's... The way it should work is you give it to people in need. Give money to people in need. Give money to businesses in need. Instead, you have Joel and a whole bunch of mega corporations that were not struggling... They were the first ones to get paid, son. The first ones. Again, as everybody else is struggling. Naomi Klein, shock doctrine. You, you have a pre-existing agenda and you use a crisis to implement that pre-existing agenda. And, you know, that agenda in this country for the longest time is total oligarchy, corporatocracy, corporate socialism, corporatism, as we call it, Um, and Joel used his money and his power and his connections to find a way to uh, use this legislation to his advantage, even though he shouldn't and he doesn't need to. What would somebody who's a true follower of the message of Jesus do in this situation? Maybe take that $4.4 million and start distributing it to people in need who come to your church. Maybe that. No, no, you don't want to do that? He wants to buy another mansion or some shit? A yacht? It's just disgusting, man. It really is. People are blaming him. I do blame him to some extent. But really, the lion's share of the blame, keep it real. It's the fact that this bill was as terrible as it was in the first place. You know? 
the, um, the way Congress has acted in the wake of COVID and the economic downturn, it's a crime. It's absolutely a crime. And now we're seeing the fruits of their labor. They rushed to slap together some bills, and of course the bills really helped mega corporations and rich assholes like this. Okay. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, I got a lot more for you, including Warren Gunnels talking to us about the new disgusting stimulus bill, which is a joke. So stay right there. We'll be right back with that and much more on this early Kyle Klinsky show.
Son of a bitch! Alright, I'm back, y'all. I just ate some corn chips. I just ate some corn chips, and they were fucking delicious. I'm a hungry boy. That's what I am. We got a big old storm coming here, and I got family stuff I gotta deal with. A little bit of a mess. This is... This is why I'm doing the show earlier than usual. Um, Okay, now let's move on to... I'm going to give you some specifics on the new stimulus bill, okay? Here we go. So the Cretans in Washington, D.C. are currently very busy um, negotiating with each other for another stimulus bill. There is one giant problem, though. There are no stimulus checks in any of the newly proposed stimulus bills. So they're bipartisan. You know, I think one was uh, Manchin and McConnell, was it? It was Manchin and somebody. Um, And now you have a new one. It was like Manchin and Romney. The number keeps coming down. We went from like $2 trillion to like $1 trillion to $900 billion. There was one that was proposed that was like $188 billion. Um, So they're a mess. Everybody's a mess. Um, What the Democrats did is they took some of their most conservative members and now had them go and negotiate with the Republicans. And the results are grotesque. Grotesque. So now we've had, what, two, three different proposals for stimulus bills that have no stimulus checks. That's a non-starter. You should immediately rip that up. You should immediately use it for toilet paper. Um, It's just, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We're going to have a stimulus bill with no stimulus checks at a time when, for what, nine months now, Americans have been living off of $1,200? We're really getting in dangerous territory in terms of the near future. Soon as they get rid of these protections, foreclosures and evictions, it's going to be record numbers. 60% of small businesses closing permanently, people slipping into poverty left and right, 28 million on the brink of homelessness. I mean, you just can't, you really can't wrap your mind around the pain, and these idiots are proposing stimulus bills with no stimulus checks. I would immediately vote no on all of them. Now, thankfully, um, Hawley and Bernie are fighting to have $1,200 stimulus checks. Good for them. I'm glad that they're working together on that. But in this new stimulus bill without stimulus checks, let me show you this. Warren Gunnell says, it took three days for defense contractor CEOs to get their top priority included in the Gang of Eight COVID relief bill. Meanwhile, this bill has a $0 check for working class Americans and $0 to prevent the mass layoffs of state and local government workers. How low can you go? And then, you know, you see the provision there. That's for... Defense contractors, public citizen also said underneath there, unreal defense contractor CEOs are actually writing Congress begging for more coronavirus relief money. 40 million people in the U.S. are on the verge of eviction, and defense industry ghouls are out here trying to pad their pockets with your tax dollars. So they listened. The second the defense industry got in contact with Congress, they were like, oh, that's right. We got to slip in a provision for them. This story is 
such a great indicator, a teaching moment for how Washington, D.C. really functions. Because whoever is paying their legalized bribes, they're going to get taken care of. It's I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And we saw this with the initial bills for COVID and for the economic downturn. Initially, you had Congress rush in to make sure we bail out the stock market, we bail out businesses, multinational corporations. That was the whole point. The Fed, $5 trillion worth, the Fed was just basically socializing the marketplace, implementing full corporate socialism. So you saw this weird disconnect where the market was doing phenomenally well as people were slipping into poverty and food bank lines were growing longer and longer. You know, Boeing got billions of dollars and then they turned around and fired tens of thousands of workers anyway. So, but understand, now you would look at that and you'd go, that makes no sense. They're, they're doing these things which are totally unreasonable and illogical. Why would you do such a thing? But the real reason is they've been paid. They're bought and owned. The reason you bail out, bail out the defense industry is because Raytheon and Boeing and Halliburton and Honeywell, these are people who donate to your campaign when you run for office. You're going to look out for them. You're going to look out to all the Wall Street ghouls who donated to your campaign. You know, all the corporate ghouls, big pharma, for-profit health insurance companies, the list goes on and on. This is who you're really representing. And lest you say it's just a theory, we've actually discussed the, the research from Princeton. There was a Princeton study that found that basically, uh, you know, regular people don't get their opinions reflected in D.C., whereas corporations do and the wealthy do. Do you need a better example? I mean, people are desperate. We're having a negotiation around a stimulus bill. There are no stimulus checks in the stimulus bill, but there's more money for the defense industry. By the way, the defense industry is absolutely booming. They get more and more money every year. Trump has increased the defense budget, Pentagon budget, every single year. They're not struggling by any stretch of the imagination, but... There's a provision to look after the defense industry before there's a provision for stimulus checks for the American people. Break out the pitchforks and the torches, baby. That's all I have to say because this is unacceptable. And I think the thing that frustrates me the most is that to them this is like so nonchalant and it's just another day. They just say, yeah, whatever. Propose the stimulus bill with no stimulus checks. That also bails out the defense industry even though they don't need a bailout. They're just like, uh, what do you mean? What's the problem? Is there a problem? How is there a problem? I don't understand. Yeah, there's a problem. Yeah, there's a problem. The whole government is bought and owned by the military-industrial complex, and you're representing them instead of the American people. Of course there's a problem. People are going hungry. Look at the food bank line, slipping into poverty, going to get foreclosed on and evicted. And this is what they do. This is who they support. This whole system is corrupt. Anybody who defends this system is either incredibly ignorant or genuinely stupid or they're in on it and they're corrupt themselves. So inexcusable, beyond inexcusable. 
again, I don't know how much more we could take before the pitchforks and the torches come out, but as I read this one, something broke inside of me. Okay, next. Now I'm going to tell you what is happening with Iran. You know, it's not very often on this show that I come out here and tell you guys I have good news, but I have good news. So take a deep breath, relax, breathe easy a little bit, grab a, grab a little treat, maybe a candy, a soda, something like that. Rouhani, so the president of Iran, says Iran would rejoin nuclear pact an hour after the U.S. does. So the Hill says that Iran's president suggested Tehran would honor the Obama-era nuclear accord within an hour of the U.S. rejoining the agreement, something President-elect Joe Biden has vowed to do. The Guardian reported that President Hassan Rouhani said Monday that Iran stood ready to restart the relationship with the U.S. under a Biden administration, but cautioned against any planned changes to the 2015 agreement. So that might be a hurdle. Um, Rouhani also warned the U.S. and European allies of seeking to constrain Iran's ballistic missile program, the newspaper added. Biden has repeatedly said he wants to restore the multinational deal with Tehran. Um, So that's amazingly positive, but I'm going to warn you here, just because Rouhani wants it doesn't mean that it's definitely going to happen because he's not the only one in control. In fact, there's an argument, a good argument, he's not even the main person in control because the Grand Ayatollah doesn't want to rejoin the deal, the hardliners don't want to rejoin the deal, and the hardliners are emboldened because, you know, Rouhani and others put their neck on the line and their reputation on the line to do the original deal, and it was very popular, they abided by the deal, but then when the U.S. pulled out of it, keep it real, the moderates in Iran looked silly because the hardliners were warning all along, don't do it, don't make a deal with the devil, they're going to stab you in the back, they're going to pull out of the deal, that's what they're going to do, you can't trust them, you can't trust them, we'll abide by the deal, and then they'll screw us anyway. That's exactly what happened. And Rouhani has been president for a while now, you know, And there's a lot of discontent in Iran. So even though he says he would like to get back in the deal, you know, he's fighting more powerful forces. He's fighting the Grand Ayatollah and the hardliners and the Revolutionary Guard. So I hope that what he's saying is correct and he's right and they do rejoin if we rejoin. But I don't know if that will actually happen because... The hardliners, and here's the main point, guys. The hardliners in every country are trying to screw this thing, and they may have already succeeded by throwing a wrench in to the extent they did. Our hardliners are the conservatives. Donald Trump, the Republican Party, they were escalating every step of the way with Iran. We violated the deal. We're sanctioning medicine going into their country. And by the way, that's why Rouhani does want to get back in, in the deal, is because they need economic relief. They're getting crushed 
And so to him, it's like, well, obviously step number one is fix the economy and give people hope. And then if you do that, it opens up more uh, possibilities. So I'm telling you, I hope this is true. But the other thing is I have heard conflicting things from Biden. So one of the things is what he's saying, that he would just get back in the deal. That'd be great. That's the position that I like. Um, But there's also been talk of like, no, for him to get back in the deal, they might have one more ask. And that ask would be no more ballistic missile development. So now here's the problem with that. We made the deal. We violated the deal. We pulled out of the deal. We embarrassed Iran. We sanctioned medicine and a bunch of stuff going into their country. And then now we're going to ask to get back in the deal and make it even more punitive? No, 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 no. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. We can't have been in the wrong every step of the way, and then we have more asks and more demands to get back in the deal. And listen, this part you're not allowed to say in the context of the U.S., but I say it because it's true. The only reason they would even want a nuclear weapon or the ballistic weapons it's for, it's for defensive purposes. Duh. Of course. Again, this is not something you're allowed to say in the context of the U.S. People think you're crazy. But no, I got news for you. It's not like the U.S. is always acting in a defensive way. No, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Modern history shows us usually we're, we're the aggressor. So they would want any of these weapons as a deterrent to U.S. aggression and Israeli aggression. So they'd be crazy if they didn't want more ballistic missiles. Are you kidding me? They're sort of crazy if they don't want a nuke, to be honest with you. Um, But they don't have a nuclear weapons program, and they followed the deal to a T. So I I hope this is correct. I hope the U.S. gets back in the deal. I hope Iran gets back in the deal. And I hope that uh, we could ease these tensions because, you know, man, I'm all about peace when it comes to foreign policy. I want to see peace. I only want to use violence for self-defense. That's it. And so in the same way that I gave Obama credit and Biden credit with the Iran deal, I gave Trump credit with North Korea. Because for me, it's all about the issue. It's about the policy. I don't care about the team. I don't care about the tribalism. I don't care about the partisanship. If the goal is peace, then you should try to get peace. You should do it in North Korea. You should do it in Iran. And um, unfortunately, we have this schizophrenic attitude from various factions in our government where there's no real underlying philosophy or end goal. It just, oftentimes, it just strikes me as like terribly arbitrary how they act. I mean, Trump totally contradicted himself with blowing up the Iranian nuclear agreement than wanting a similar kind of nuclear agreement with North Korea. What? So that was just, that just all stemmed from anti-Obamaism. He just wanted to do whatever the opposite of what Obama was doing was. So let's get back in that deal. That would be a wonderful thing. And this alone would be a giant improvement uh, by the Biden administration over the Trump administration. Okay, next.
everybody needs to understand um, the Electoral College just certified the election results. It's over. It's over. I mean, it's been over for a while, but now it is over, over, over. It's as over as you could get except for the swearing in, you know? Like, there is no, well, now let's try a new lawsuit. Now let's do this new thing. No, that's it. It's done. It's over. Game, set, match, bitch. Dunskies. Dunzo. So, now you know this. I know this. The overwhelming majority of the American people know this. But there are still hardcore Trump people who are not accepting the reality. In fact, now you have a lot of these Trump people making enemies of these betting websites that they use. And they say, like, well, this website, they bought into the nonsense, the fake news media deep state narrative where they think Joe Biden's going to be president. (laughs) Stupid. Amateurs. Are you kidding me, dog? You seriously still don't get it. That it's over. Now, I could show you a video of this. I'm not going to show you a video of this. It's just sad. It's of a hardcore Trump person. Guys, there are people who bet $100,000 that Trump would win. $100,000. Again, I could show you the videos and, and the tweets of these people melting down, calling Mitch McConnell a liberal beta cuck because Mitch McConnell acknowledged finally that Joe Biden won. Um, I'm not going to show you them. You know they exist. You know they're funny. But they're also really sad, too. Um, But look at what Nate Silver said here, because this is everything. Trump has had about a 10% chance to win the election on prediction markets for weeks, long after the race was called for Biden. For people who were like, this is only because of structural flaws with those markets. Nope. There were really enough true believers out there. About, there was still about a 10% chance in the betting markets for Trump to win after Trump had already lost. After he'd already lost. By the way, somebody tweeted this. It's so true. It looks like Joe Biden won the election 47 times because every other day you get a notification from the news like Joe Biden wins, Joe Biden wins, Donald Trump's 46th lawsuit thrown out, and Joe Biden still remains the winner. So in his, in his attempt to cover up the Biden win, he actually accidentally made it look like Biden won 1,000 races. Just the most amazing backfire in human history. But I really can't get over this, man. At least 10% of the people who walk around us are total zombies. Total zombies. About 10% of the people were just like, yeah, I, I, I still think Trump has this. You know what it is? I, one of my theories is that I really do think 2016 broke everybody's brain. I really do. Because the lesson that you take away from that is, I can't believe he pulled it out when everybody had, you know, written him off, thought he was going to lose. And so now people overcorrected and thought, no, 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 he really is Teflon Don, and it is impossible for him to lose. That became the new conventional wisdom in certain circles. And then you have this giant propaganda and misinformation network that feeds these delusions. This is Newsmax. This is One America News Network. Fox News was the most honest among them. But 
these people saw a hole in the marketplace, the complete over-the-top pro-Trump authoritarianism, completely sycophantic. They're filling that void. They're meeting that market need. And as a result of that, yeah, they've made it so that they've shored up that number, 10% chance to win the election even after he lost in the betting markets. People were betting on this. People were putting hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. I would be curious to see if anybody put over 100000 I know one person bet 100000 because there was a thing on Twitter about it. I wonder if anybody put more than that. These are the same people who scream about fake news nonstop, and they fell for all the fake news. Jesus Christ. Part of me feels bad for them. The other part of me is laughing. Really, I'm just marveling. I'm in awe that about 10% of the people around us are total zombies. And this is just the, you know, in terms of the betting markets. When you look at the polls overall, it's probably even worse, probably 20 or 30% that really is still, to some extent, in that Trump cult, where it really is like a cult to them. He can do no wrong. And if reality doesn't match him and what he's saying, it's reality that's wrong. It's reality that's off. Wild. I cannot remember ever seeing anything like this with previous Republican presidents or Democratic presidents. I've never seen anything like this. Okay, baby, let's continue. Let me give you the 2024 Let me give you the 2024 breakdown for the Democratic primary. I hate to do this to you, but I also don't hate to do this to you. And let me change the graphic as I'm talking to you here. No more Trump over my shoulder. Instead, boom. We have the 2024 Democratic primary poll, a new 2024 Democratic primary poll. This is from McLaughlin and Associates. Don't know how reputable the company is, but nonetheless, let's talk about this. Let's speculate. Let's get all up in our feelings for no reason. Um, Look at the results. Michelle Obama is the front runner with 29%. 29 percent. Kamala Harris, 25 percent. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 7 percent. Mayor Pete, 5 percent. Cuomo, 5 percent. Booker, 3 percent. Hickenlooper, 3 percent. Klobuchar, 2 percent. Kane, 2 percent. Patrick, 1 percent. Gillibrand, 1 percent. Omar, 1 percent. Michelle Obama, 29 percent. Kamala Harris, 25 percent. Ocasio-Cortez, 7 percent. I mean, it goes without saying that of the ones who are even registered here, AOC is the best option. But I got to be honest with you, I question her ability to win a national election. I do. I don't think, I think she's right on all the issues, as we've talked about a million times. But I do question her political instincts. I think they used to be better and they've gotten worse since she's gone to Washington. That's not a shot at her. That's not a shot at her. 
I got nothing but love for her and all the Justice Democrats. Any disagreement is a family disagreement where we're debating strategy. But I do think her political instincts have gotten significantly worse since she's gotten to Washington. So I question her ability to win a national election. I question her ability to win a race for U.S. Senate. He has a better chance of that than the presidency, but I still think it's going to be difficult. But anyway, Michelle Obama, number one, and Kamala Harris, number two. And they're way up there. Pain. Suffering. This, this is really, um, we got a lot of work to do, ladies and gentlemen. I'm actually mad. I'm upset. I'm pissed. Um, because we're not organized enough. The left isn't organized enough. We're just not. And it always seems like the default option are the centrists and the corporatists. And we're never the default option. It's never like, well, you're the natural front runner. You know, and whose fault is that? It's our fault. It is. It absolutely is our fault. Now, thankfully, Nina Turner is officially running for Congress. That's great. I hope she gets there. Um, she has a bright future regardless, but I'd love to see her become a leader on the Democratic side because I think she actually is a natural leader. She'll never go along to get along. She'll set the terms of the debate. That's wonderful. But, yeah, we should all we all need to look in the mirror, and we all need to organize better. And a lot more of you guys need to run for office. Think of this as, uh, you know, the angry father giving you a stern talking to. If you're out there and you're considering it, you should do it. You should do it because we need more strong, intelligent, strategic leftists with backbone who know what they're doing, know the arguments they have to make, know how to win. And we need people to make a name for themselves because we can't Michelle Obama or Kamala Harris. If it's one of them, it's as far as the eye can see of no Medicare for all, no ending the wars, no Green New Deal, all of your biggest policies that are the most important to you. Forget it. Kiss it goodbye. Because we know exactly what these kinds of administrations would look like. We know what Kamala's administration would look like. It's not a secret. We're all still stuck back in the Bill Clinton era. This is all like Bill Clinton 1.0, Bill Clinton 2.0 was Obama, Bill Clinton 3.0 is going to be uh, Biden, and you'd have Bill Clinton 4.0 would be with Harris. Maybe Michelle Obama would be marginally better than Harris, but I'm basing that on nothing at all, right? Like, I don't know her actual policy beliefs, which should be the main thing, but somehow she's leading when nobody knows her policy beliefs. Nobody knows them. They just like her as a person. And it's like, well, that's why I want her. Oh, my God, then are we really any different than how the Republicans act. They just fell in love with like the persona that is Donald Trump, like, you know, big capitalism boss man who screams at everybody. And they're like, yes, yes, out alpha me, daddy, yes. Like that's what they looked at. They, it was the Trumpiness about him that they fell in love with. It, Michelle Obama's leading. It's the Michelle Obama-ness that people are falling in love with. It's, it's personal. It's not policy. And so that's the other thing that the left needs to learn is like, yeah, policy, it all comes down to policy at the end of the day. But also, we got to have the X factor, dog. Like, you got to run candidates with that X factor that just like, that people are just like, I don't even know why, but I like this person. I'm drawn to this person. You know what I mean? So this made me really depressed looking at the results of this poll. 
because now we're talking about we're going to have elections moving forward on the Republican side. Mike Pence, Don Jr., Ted Cruz on the right, Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris and Mayor Pete on the left. I mean, it's just gross. But, but I will say this. The upside is we are starting to see a lot more direct action. And it's funny because, remember, one of the main criticisms that people made of Jimmy Dore is that, like, oh, he's anti-politics. He creates, like, apolitical people who don't want to get involved in the system, and that's why what he's doing is detrimental because he gets people so cynical about the system that they don't even want to participate. Well, now Jimmy Dore is getting as active as he possibly can by telling people to call these Congress people and demand a vote on Medicare for all, and all of a sudden now there's criticism of that too. So which is it? Is he apolitical and you don't like that, or is he too involved in politics now and you don't like that? You're like, you got to pick one. you got to pick one of those two criticisms. You can't have them both. The point is we, we need to do the organizing outside of, irrespective of what's happening in the political world. Like, I don't care who's there. We're going to pressure him no matter who it is, right? Like, that's the idea. And um, when you see a list of people who are our enemies like this, that just puts it in perspective more for you. It's almost like when you feel like there's no hope, in a strange roundabout way, it actually gives you a little more hope. It's like, oh, well, if it's this bad, then let's get to work right now, and let's not even pretend like we have any friends in high places. It's all, we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're going to organize outside of the system. We'll do a general strike. We'll pressure these politicians like nobody's business. We'll make them do the things that we need them to do and that the American people want them to do. So, but it is depressing. I lied with the whole like, oh, maybe it's more hope. <laughs> That's the nice rationalization, but no, it's, it's bad. Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris. And then on the other side, it's like Donald Trump, Mike Pence, Don Jr., Ted Cruz. Ugh. Imagine having to watch like Mayor Pete and Don Jr. for the rest of our lives try to be involved in politics when they're vapid losers who believe in nothing. Well, get ready for it because it is definitely happening. All right, let me take a final break, and then we'll come back. Still got three awesome stories for you, including they're going after Warnock, and he's correct. Stay right there.
right, bitch, we back. We are back in this motherfucker, bitch. Okay. Let's talk about Raphael Warnock. So Raphael Warnock is uh, is in some trouble, not really, but the right thinks he's in some trouble. I guess the Washington Free Beacon dug this video up of uh, him talking about Republicans cutting taxes for the rich, and there's a lot of fake outrage about his description of said Republican politicians. Okay, so, yeah, now I like them more. (laughs) Thank you for that. I appreciate it. See, it's always funny. When the far right goes after Democrats, they make them seem cooler than they are, don't they? Like, the things that they pick out as like, aha, got them, are things that I'm like, we should cut an ad where this is our ad like, run the tape as if, like, that's awesome, right? So it's funny. We really live on different planets. Um, So let's go through what he said here. He said, Herod is a cynical politician who's willing to kill children and kill the children's health program for more wealth and power. See, I I struggle wrapping my mind around this one because he's talking, Herod's like a biblical character, right? And so when he says Herod is a cynical politician who's willing to kill children and kill the children's health program for more wealth and power... It's like he's being part metaphorical, but part not. If you want to be super literal about it, you say, okay, they're not killing children. They're just making it more likely they starve. 
which is true, which is true. And I guess you could say if you're killing the children's health program, defunding it, cutting funding, or trying to eliminate it, is that maybe in a sense killing some children? Like, will some children die because they can't get the health care that they were able to get previously? Very possibly. I mean, that's what happens when 45,000 Americans die every year because they don't have basic health care. And Republicans don't want to change that system. If anything, they want to kick more people off their health insurance, and that gets worse. That number climbs and climbs and climbs. So it's a tough way of saying it, but it's kind of accurate. Now, you can get all, like, you know, fake outraged over it, but maybe you should be in favor of keeping the children's health program, and then this, this criticism couldn't be made or it couldn't land. And then the next part, I mean, it's funny that this was the part that I thought was just cool. He said, talking about the... Trump Republican tax cuts for the rich that they just did not too long ago. He says they want to pick the pockets of the poor and the sick and the old in order to line the pockets for the ultra rich. That's exactly right. And then he calls them gangsters and thugs. Totally true. I call them gangsters and thugs all the time as well. <laughs> like that, that's what they are. That's what they're doing. Let's be honest about it. At least own the consequences of the policies that you're pushing for. If you want to cut taxes for the rich, if you want to, you know, do endless war and keep increasing the military budget, even though we should be doing the opposite, okay, own that. If you want to cut Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and every social safety net program, own it. Own it. Is there an argument that they're gangsters and thugs? I mean, yes, absolutely. Certainly the case that with how corrupt Washington, D.C. is and how rigged the rules are in favor of the rich and against the little person, like, of course they're effectively robbing the working class and doing a reverse Robin Hood and giving the money to the rich. That's kind of gangster-like, isn't it? That's kind of thug-like, isn't it? I go a step further, as you guys know. I call the for-profit health insurance companies a mafia. They're a rapacious, price-gouging middleman mafia, they're a parasite that takes their cut and they don't give any value. They just get in between you and your doctor and tell you where you can and can't go, who you can and can't see, what is and isn't covered. So I think he's right. I think he's right. Made me want to vote for him shit. So anyway, there you have it. Some fake outrage over some pretty reasonable comments from Raphael Warnock. Okay, now, let me show y'all the new fact we learned about Biden as a result of Ryan Grimm. If you were holding out and expecting something positive from Biden, I got some bad news for you. So Jennifer Epstein says, Biden says that seven Senate Republicans, mostly senior, have called him tonight. He spoke to one of the most senior members who expressed a willingness to work on China and infrastructure. It's going to take six to eight months, but the GOP will work with him. Quote, you're going to be surprised. And so Ryan Grimm responds and says, Republicans tell Biden to hang tight for six to eight months, and then they'll work with him. Biden thinks that's so good he tells the press. 
six to eight months takes you to the summer recess. When they return from the focus, when they return, the focus turns to midterms and the legislative window is closed. Good Lord, have mercy. And Ryan Grimm's goes on to say accurately, he's Biden's been in office since like 1874, and he's still a mark. He's still a mark. I mean, it's almost like I part feel bad for him along with the part anger I feel over this. Because how can you be that naive? And this is Obama syndrome. Obama did the exact same thing. It didn't matter how much the Republican politicians were like, I think you're a Kenyan Marxist. You weren't born in this country. You're un-American. We hate you. And he'd be like, now look, I want to be reasonable here, and uh, maybe I'll meet you halfway. And they were breaking every obstruction record in the book, and he was still like reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. Partly for ideological reasons, but also partly because maybe it's all ideological. I really don't know. I can't tell you exactly why they like this kind of shame and embarrassment. But it is that. It is shameful, and it is embarrassing. And Biden's cut from the same cloth. He's doing the same thing. He literally believes them. You think Republican senators are going to work with you? If they ever do work with you, it will only be on their terms 100%. It'll be cutting Social Security, Medicare, and pretending it's a good thing. Biden might do that to get some sort of bipartisan win. But outside of that, Joe, they're just going to call you a socialist from now until the end of time. They're going to say that AOC is pulling your puppet strings or something, which is nonsense, of course. But they're going to smear you relentlessly, dog. Yeah, I think he's really silly enough to be like, I think they like me. I think they want to work with me. Oh. So between waving the white flag on executive orders, and he did exactly that, right? He was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do too many executive orders. I'm only going to do the things that are clearly constitutional. Anything that's even borderline, he's not going to do. So waves the white flag on executive orders. And now he's like, excited about working with Republicans when they're not going to work with him. And if they ever work with him, it's going to be just do what I want. It's going to be painful, man. Like I said, the first day or the first week will be the best with the immediate executive orders that turn around some basic things. But outside of that, oh, we're in for, we're in for some pain. We're in for some hurt because he's still somehow, after being in Washington forever, on top of being super corrupt, He's also just incredibly naive and silly. Okay. Final story of the day, y'all. This is also in the, uh, in the category of be incredibly depressed. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We have some new Biden transition team additions. He said, all added quietly, this is Kenneth Vogel, all added quietly without announcement after the initial team was unveiled. You have... Two 
Goldman Sachs people, a VP and an employee, Monica Marr and Eric Goldstein, a BCG consultant named Matt Hernandez, and somebody from McKinsey. BCG, by the way, is Boston Consulting Group. So in other words, insider corporatists. I mentioned this the other day to you, but it's not like written in the laws of nature or something that you can't hire activists or academics or union leaders, labor leaders, niche experts on certain things. It's, it's not like you have to pick career insider corrupt corporatists who are going to represent the interests of Goldman Sachs, but that's what they all go with. You know, Donald Trump, when he was pretending to be a populist, was railing against Hillary and her taking money for these speeches, and he was hitting Goldman Sachs at times, too. And then he immediately hires, like, a number of people from Goldman Sachs when he became president. I mean, he basically made his economic team the Wall Street dream team. And they, of course, gave Wall Street exactly what they wanted. That's what that tax cut bill was. Tax cuts for the rich and corporations. So Trump did it when he pretended to be populist. Biden, every now and then, pretends to be populist, and then he does this. Hires Goldman Sachs people. You know, I do think most of this is because of corruption. I do. But I also think there is some element of elitist thought which makes people believe in these neoliberal cliques that we already live in a meritocracy, and so if somebody works at Goldman Sachs, it's because they have to be incredibly smart and accomplished, and they earn that. They earn their way to that position. And so they're just smarter and better than activists or, or professors or labor leaders, academics. They're just better. They're just better than them. That's why I'm hiring these people, is because they made it in this meritocracy. So if you're working at Goldman Sachs, if you're working at McKinsey, it's you got to be that you're brilliant. And we just learned, by the way, the big thing with McKinsey, how they were like helping facilitate overdoses and giving advice to the pharmaceutical company as to how they can make more money off of overdoses. They, had, they literally had to release an apology. I'm not sure they've ever done that before. There was the bread price-fixing scandal that Mayor Pete was asked about because he worked at McKinsey and another thing that they did like these are not the smartest guys in the room they're the greediest and they're the most corrupt and they're the biggest insiders that's what it is and so when you hire these people of course you're going to get horrendous decisions that that benefit a small group of people at the top that's what's going to happen there's no two ways about it but here we are under a Trump administration, you got a lot of Goldman Sachs people. In a Biden administration, you got a lot of Goldman Sachs people. It's almost like no matter who you elect, if they're part of the establishment, Wall Street wins. Big financial institutions win. Guys, I was, I was rooting for him. I was rooting for him. I wanted him to prove me wrong. I wanted Joe Biden to prove me wrong. Fortunately, he proved me right. How's that whole pushing him left thing going? It was always dishonest and delusional. You could have made a case for him on the merits. Instead, people lied like, we'll make him Noam Chomsky after the election and push him left. How's that going? How's that going? It's not going well at all now, is it? 
So meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You're still going to have deregulation. You're still going to have tax cuts for the rich, maybe less so under Biden. But um, I'd be willing to bet that the tax rates will not be where they should be. And the regulations will not be where they should be. Willing to bet that. Um, Because at the end of the day, they all feed the military industrial complex. They all feed the shitty health insurance system, health care that we have. They all feed Wall Street. So I wish I had some answers for you as to how we can prevent this from happening. But the damage is already done, it appears. Okay. All right, guys, that's it for the show today. Time for me to go handle some family stuff and time for me to uh, hopefully beat this storm. Love y'all. Talk to you soon. Peace. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.